welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Brian McLean on January 22nd, Lord's Day Service. text today is going to be from 1 John chapter 1, first 10 verses. Hear God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. May it be a lamp to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives as we love and serve others in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Amen. Seventy-six years ago, on a crisp January night, Hank Williams was driving back to his hometown of Montgomery, Alabama, after a concert in Fort Deposit, Alabama. Well, it's not entirely accurate. One of the members of his band was driving, For those of you that know a little bit about Hank Williams, you'll not be surprised that he was actually in the back seat, half asleep and intoxicated. His mother was awake, though, and up front in the passenger seat, and as they drove through the darkness towards their destination, she saw the glow of Montgomery, the city in the distance, and said, I just saw the light. This, of course, (laughs) was the inspiration for one of Hank's very first hits, I Saw the Light, which eventually became one of the most popular songs ever in country and gospel music. And at first glance, this song seems like your typical southern gospel cliche, right? And perhaps it was meant to be. But one of Hank's biographers, who was also his friend, claims that there was more to the song than just a catchy lyric. It was the earnest hope of a notorious backslider. The the chorus of the song goes like this. I saw the light... I I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. 
Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Now, ironically, this song was written on January 26, 1947. And it's not just ironic because the song happened to be written this week, all those years ago. But this week, according to the church calendar, happens to be the third week of Epiphany. And of course, Epiphany is the season when the church focuses on the light, the revelation of Jesus Christ as God to the world. Now, the dictionary definition of Epiphany is an illuminating discovery or realization. In other words, to have an epiphany means to have the lights turned on. If you were a cartoon character and you had an epiphany, a light bulb would appear upon your head and click on. Hank is actually stating a profound theological truth when he connects the light of Christ to his salvation. He saw the light, at least in the song. The real-life story, of course, for Hank Williams is much more tragic, unfortunately, especially because he seemed to understand what the answer was, that his salvation was found in God through Jesus Christ alone. Now, Hank is not the only musician to make this connection between light and salvation. David makes a similar claim in Psalm 27 when he sings, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, this gets us to the crux of the matter, fear. David, of course, did not live a perfect life. His, sin, his sins are laid out in Scripture for all to see. Yet he understood that his only hope for salvation was found in the Lord, specifically in drawing near to the Lord. Psalm 73 says this, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. However, in our fallen nature, we flee from God. We flee from the light. Because the light exposes us. It reveals our sin. This is the root of the problem in our text this morning. John's plea to his audience is walk in the light. Life is found in Jesus, but you must draw near to him to receive it. And let's face it, drawing near can be scary. Throughout Israel's old covenant history, God had been veiled to them. The light was dim. They dwelt in darkness. They couldn't even handle the second-hand light of God's glory on Moses' face when he came down from the mountain, as Matt mentioned last week. They needed him to wear a veil. This is at the root of their hatred of Jesus. They accused him of blasphemy, of breaking laws, causing dissent, but really, the veil had been torn, the light had come, and they were exposed, and they hated it. They were afraid. They preferred the darkness. This is still an issue 30 plus years later when John writes his letter. The big problem in the church are the Judaizers, men who insisted that the way to God lay in the old covenant religious practices. They were leading people into the darkness. It was impossible to approach God that way. And the end was approaching fast. The old covenant and all who remained in it were going to be destroyed in 70 A.D. 
just a few years away. So you can understand the desperation in John's letter. And it begins with a bang. This is not like Paul, who starts off his letters with grace to you and greets everyone, name drops a few friends, talks about how he's been praying for them, and so on. No, no John begins with... That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Whoa, take a breath, John. That is just the first sentence of this letter. It's like when I ask my kids about their favorite movie. It's like, you know, a wave of, of a description. But, but John's enthusiasm is born out of love and desperation. He and the other apostles had seen the light. They touched it. It had been manifested to them. That word manifest means to realize, to make real. In other words... An epiphany. And notice how John begins the letter. That which was from the beginning. And this is not incidental. In the same way that John begins his gospel by connecting Jesus to the creation, in the beginning was the word, he is making the same connection here. In the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. Now, darkness is not inherently evil. God created the darkness, but it is symbolic. The darkness comes first, and then light shines into the darkness. There's a pattern here. Evening and then morning. In the creation account, God separates the light from the darkness. They both exist. But in Revelation 22, at the end of the Bible, we're told that one day there will no longer be, light, be night. There will be no need for the light of lamps or the sun, for the Lord God will be our light. Now, while the primary symbol is the Old Covenant, the darkness means the Old Covenant, you know, Jesus, Jesus Christ is the light of the new covenant, replacing the darkness of the old covenant. Well, the New Testament also uses darkness to refer to our sin. And naturally, there is a connection between these two things. For instance, Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, says this, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul, like John, connects the act of creation to the revelation of Jesus Christ into our hearts. Let there be light. Our salvation is an act of creation. It's God bringing life out of death. And it's not something we're able to do, right? Paul knew this better than anyone. His conversion was literally the light of Jesus shining into his life. And Paul said he was the chief of sinners. And he was not just being a, a good old typical reform guy. You know, you know who I'm talking about. You know, they, we argue about, I'm the chief of sinners. 
No, I'm the chief of sinners. No, no, Paul was a murderer of Christians. And his wickedness was born out of his commitment for the old covenant. He believed he was being a faithful Jew. But as John says in our passage this morning, he was deceiving himself. And the truth was not in him. Paul zealously pursued the darkness until he saw the light. And this is why Paul, again, like John, exhorts his audience to walk in the light. In Ephesians 5, he tells the church, You were once darkness, but now you are, the light, in the, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Notice also how the light of Jesus was manifested to the apostles. They saw him. They touched him. They were witnesses of the resurrected Christ. But the way this light is now manifested to the church, including us today, is through faith. John says in verse 3 that we, the apostles, have seen with our eyes, have touched with our hands, heard with our own ears. We now proclaim this to you. And then he says it again in verse 5. Walking in the light means living in fellowship with Christ. But it does not mean that we must physically see, touch, and hear Jesus. And the same was true then, it's true today. So then, how are we to have true fellowship? Well, in verse 5, John says that this is the message that we now proclaim to you, that God is light. The apostles were messengers of the truth. And that word messenger is the same word for angel. In the Old Covenant, angels were God's messengers. They often brought God's word down to his people. And as I stated earlier, there was a veil between God and his people. They could not behold God's glory. But the angels could. They surrounded God's throne. They had access to God. And so they were his messengers to us. But then Christ was manifested to the world. The light had dawned, God in flesh, and the apostles surrounded Jesus, and they beheld his glory. And now they are messengers. They are angels proclaiming God's truth. But the chain doesn't end there. Angels, apostles, every Lord's Day, the church assembles and ascends to the throne room of God. And by faith, we surround his throne. By faith, we behold his glory. And by faith, we partake of his son's body and blood. This is fellowship. This is, as John says, the fullness of joy. Entering into the fellowship of Christ fills up our joy and enables us to go out and proclaim God's truth to the world, to our community. But as I said earlier, entering into the presence of God is also a fearful thing. Our sins, our weaknesses, our failings, are all exposed to the light. And because of this, our inclination is to hide, to turn to the darkness, where we think we can't be seen. John says this in the third chapter of his gospel. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now, 
Hiding in the darkness is one side of the ditch. The other side of the ditch, as verse 6 tells us, is arrogantly believing you have no sin and you're saying you have fellowship with Christ. The problem here, of course, is that it's pretty easy in our current culture to go to church and feel a-okay. If someone is living in unrepentant sin and wants to deceive themselves into thinking that God loves them just the way they are, well, there are plenty of churches that won't challenge them on their sin. In fact, many of these churches will actually applaud them for their sin. But worship is where God deals with sin. The wicked hide their sins in the darkness and they lie and they say they have no sin. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light means that our lives and our deeds are exposed. We're vulnerable. We come and confess our sins to him and we we name them. We just did that. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The psalmist tells us that as far as, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God is not surprised by our sin. He knows us. And he wants to conform us to the image of his son. And he doesn't do that by ignoring our sin or applauding our sin. He does it by killing it. Really, by killing us. That's what we do here every Sunday. We present ourselves as living sacrifices to God and his word, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces to the division of our souls and our spirit, our joints and marrow. It kills us. And it's what we need. It's what everyone needs. Not comfort, not affirmation, but confrontation. Our sin is serious and it ought to be dealt with in such a way that we either, when we come to church, we either harden our hearts against the truth and we get out of dodge or we are repentant and we cling to the truth of Christ. We should never be comfortable with our sin in the presence of God. There is no neutrality. We are here to die. But God doesn't leave us like that. He is in the resurrection business. He puts us back together even better than before. He makes us new. This is what communion is. We have come into the light broken and weak. We've confessed our sins. We've submitted ourselves to the word. And now he says, come and dine with me. Peace be with you. You are whole. We leave here better than when we came in. Our commissioning at the end of this service is grounded in the promise that in Christ, we are new creations. There was a Tom Cruise movie a few years back. It's called The Edge of Tomorrow. And in it, Tom plays a cowardly soldier 
who has to fight in a war against aliens. It's not a true story. Um, And he finds himself in a situation where when he dies, he wakes up at the moment, at, at, at the same moment every single time. And he has to begin his day again. And so the story is that in, in order to figure out how to beat this alien army, he has to die over and over and over again. And each time he learns a little more information, he gains a little more skill, he memorizes the right movements, he builds his muscle memory. Early on, he's cowardly, he's weak, and his deaths are a bit pathetic. But as the story progresses, and he dies, and as he rises again, he becomes a warrior. At one point later in the film, it's suggested that he has died thousands of deaths to get to that point. Now, actually, Edge of Tomorrow was what the original name of the film was when it came out in the theaters. If you go look for it now, it's called Live, Die, Repeat, which is a much better title. That's what we do here. Weekend week out. Of course, we're called to do this at home as well, to die to ourselves. Husbands, you are to lay your life down for your wife, and that means loving her and building her up. She is your glory. Wives, you are submit to your husbands. Respect him. Even when you disagree with him, he is your head. Children, you are to obey your parents with joy. Parents, siblings, friends, employers, employees, students, if you are children of light, then you will lay your life down for those around you. You will die daily. But those daily deaths flow out of what we do here. If you want to be one who is quick to repent at home, as you should, then come and confess your sins here. If you want to be quick to forgive at home, come and hear how fully God forgives you of your sins. If you want your home to be full of song, then come and lift up your voices here with the saints of God. If you want your table to be a place of regular fellowship and hospitality, then come and dine at the Lord's table and give thanks for his bountiful gifts. If you want to be made whole, then come and submit yourself to his word. And if you want to be somebody who lays their life down for others out there, then come to the one who died for you and cleansed you of your sins so that you can have a life to lay down. Glorious God, in whom there is no darkness, grant that your church may shine forth her light to others so that they may see her good works and give glory to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's Trinity Reformed K-I-R-K dot com.